0: I'm excited to jump into God's Word with you today. Uh, today we will be studying in the book of First John. So if you have a Bible looks, that looks like this, a uh, church chair Bible, uh, it's going to be on page five, uh, 591. So 591, it's towards the back of the Bible, next to Revelation, in between Revelation, Jude and First and Second Peter. And as you're turning to this passage, I want to share with you uh, something. Something about my life. As a young boy, I was afraid of the dark. I remember my parents, uh, they would invest in night lights, right? We call them lights, Or, in my case, we'd also invest in a thing called a lava lamp. How many of you guys have heard of lava lamps before? <laughs> They're pretty cool. But for many of you, uh, being afraid of the dark, you are afraid because you're afraid of both the unknown and what you cannot see. However, as many people get older, the fear of the dark fades, and darkness becomes more and more enjoyable. Why? When you're younger, you're afraid of what you can't see, and as you get older, you begin to enjoy the dark because others cannot see, particularly your deeds. For example, some people live for what we call the nightlife, How many of you guys have heard of that before? Yeah, a lot of us, right? The nightlife. Why is it a nightlife? And why do people do so many evil things at night? It's because they imagine that it is in the darkness that they believe their sins are hidden and their sins are camouflaged. And it's as if they, they click the button and their life is on incognito mode where no one can see anything. And it all becomes invisible. However, as John reminds us as believers, we have been set free from darkness, which is a realm in which sin thrives and runs rampant. It's a really bad place. Darkness is not a good biblical place. And instead, we are to come to Christ who is light and brings us freedom from sin forever. And as other scripture teaches us, And many people often forget about this scripture. Luke 12, 2-3 says this, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for graciously loving us so much that you desire to see us live a life in the light. You desire us to live in fellowship with you and with each other. May we please grasp what it is that you have for us to hear today from your word and apply it to our hearts, apply it to our minds, apply it to our lives, God, so we can live a life worthy of the sacrifice that you have made for us and purchased with your blood. It's in your mighty and powerful name, Father God, amen. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Awesome. So today... Uh, we are going to look at First John, but we're going to back up a little bit. We've got to find out what the context is uh, so we can really understand God's Word. Uh, we're going to start with the historical context. So what is going on during this time uh, of John writing this uh, letter of First John? Well, John is writing to the people of the church. Uh, during this time, there was infiltration of false prophets, Uh, So people were teaching false doctrines. They were teaching false things that we call today and back then heresies, things that are not right, things that are wrong biblically and do not uh, go along with what God's word says. So they're false prophets teaching, right? A prophet is someone who is the mouthpiece of God. They are sending and communicating a message directly by God. A false prophet is one that imitates a prophet, but their message is not from God. And then what, what's the exact timeline of this book? Jesus has died, rose, and ascended. This book of 1 John was written after the gospel of John to address the church in a situation of false teachers, as well as to remind the follower of Christ what the true message of the gospel is. And then so John begins the book of 1 John with a what we call a Christocentric introduction, meaning a Christ-centered introduction, highlighting who Jesus is in the central message of the gospel so that his joy may be complete. Knowing that believers have a right understanding and knowledge of the gospel. His goal and his hope is that they are following the real gospel and not falling after false gospel messages. Uh, Christian liberalism, which is where you know it's running rampant today. Not we're not talking politically. We're talking about Christian liberalism, which is basically uh, not believing that the Word of God is, is uh, infallible. We're, we're believing all these uh, things that are contrary to the biblical text and to the gospel. And so, not sticking to the Bible and being free with speaking, not actually following and prioritizing God's Word. So that's that's a bit of the context. Now we're going to start with the geographical context. Uh, if you look in the back, we have a map up here. First John was written by John while he was in Ephesus. There's a little arrow pointing to Ephesus, uh, part of Asia Minor. Uh, this same place, Ephesus, is the church that Paul addressed in his letter to the Ephesians. Uh, Paul's letter came first in AD 62 while it introduced the gospel to the Ephesians. John's letter, his letter, is instructing the Ephesians, to stay anchored to the message that they first heard. So this is written after Paul's letter, uh, 1 John 2, 2 uh, sorry, 2, uh, 26 through 27. It says this, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His teaching, uh, as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as taught you, abide in him. And then 1 John 1 5 says this, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So my first point for today is this, God is light. God is light. And we're going to see a lot of scriptures that back this up. So, first off, we see uh, in 1 John 1, uh, verse 5, that he talks about a message that was received. The message you first received. The message they first received is the gospel of Jesus. And there's one way that I like to explain this. A lot of uh, professors of theology use this. It's creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So, creation... God created everything. There was good, but then there was a fall. That's when Adam and Eve sinned, and it brought sin into the world. And then redemption. Jesus Christ died for our sins so that we may be saved and no longer go along with the sin inherited by Adam, but instead God would, Jesus would be the complete atonement for our sins and uh, make us pure. And then restoration. That is when the new heavens and the new earth Come and everything is made brand new. there is no more crying, there is no more pain, there is no more fear, but there is being surrounded by light and surrounded by God. And so that's, that's the message of the gospel. John heard it from him who is Jesus. And God God is morally uh, being, being a light uh, in the Bible is symbolic for being morally holy, righteous and that there's no evil character in God whatsoever. He is a just God, and he is holy and upright. Uh, One definition of light, of God being light, is this. This is from the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary. Light is one of the most complex symbols. Uh, Light is linked with uh, instruction. Uh, You can see all the different scriptural passages connected with instruction. Truth, good, salvation, life, peace, rejoicing, covenant justice and righteousness, God's presence and favor, or the glory of Yahweh. But to understand this concept even more, that God is different than us, that he is completely light, we must understand that we share similarities with God, but at the same time, uh, there are many differences. Because why? God is greater than us. The theological term for God being greater than us is God is transcendent. His transcendence is greater, like he transcends us. According to the ESV uh, study Bible, it says, God's nature and human sin, God is light, reflects an Old Testament background where light symbolizes both knowledge and purity. All of John's writings uh, flow from the reality of God in his spiritual perfection, his moral excellence, and his utter transcendence, his light. And then what's the definition of transcendence? Uh, Erickson's uh, systematic theology uh, says this, that God is separate from and independent of nature and humanity. God is not simply attached to or involved in his creation. He is also superior to it in several significant ways. And He says this uh, in the biblical basis, a number of scripture passages affirmed the concept of divine transcendence. It is a particular theme in the book of Isaiah. In 55, 8 through 9, we read that God's thoughts transcend ours. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In 6, 1 through 5, the Lord is depicted as seated on the throne, high and exalted. The seraphim call him out, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, an indication of his transcendence. And to add to that, the whole earth is full of his glory. A reference to his eminence, Isaiah responds with an expression of his own uncleanness. Thus, God's transcendence over us must be seen not only in terms of his greatness, his power and knowledge, but also in his goodness, his holiness, and his purity. Isaiah 57, 15 also explains and expresses both the transcendence and eminence of God. For this is what the high and lofty one says He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Almost done with this definition. I know it's a long definition. But I think it's very important to this text. We read of God's transcendence in other books of the Bible as well. Psalm one thirteen five through six says, "Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth?" He is described as the one whose throne is in heaven. In Psalm one twenty three one, in John eight twenty three, uh, in John eight twenty three, Jesus draws a contrast between himself and his hearers. You are below. I am above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. So to explain this, God is the greatest example of light. He transcends us when it comes to light. Throughout scripture, we can see God portrayed as light and evil portrayed as darkness. Psalm 1828 says this, for it is you who light my lamp, the Lord my God who lightens my darkness. Micah 7.8 says this, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light to me. And then John 1, 9 through 14 says this. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of the man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And then John three nineteen through 21 says this. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because of their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And how true is that? People love darkness rather than light. They would rather live in sin than come to Jesus. And that is so sad. It's heartbreaking. I don't know if you've seen people uh, just go down a dark path. It is so sad because they seem lost as if they have no hope. But they continuously keep going to sin. They keep going to sin. And they're wondering, why am I so depressed? Why am I so upset? Why am I so anxious? Why am I so sad all the time? And and for, for many, because they are not exposed to light. It's because they are stuck in that same sin. They are stuck in the darkness. They are away from Christ and they are not pursuing Christ. Instead of pursuing light, they're pursuing darkness. John 12 says this. John 12, 44 through 46. And Jesus cried out and he said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but he who sent me. And whoever sees me uh, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as a light. So whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. What a beautiful hope that is. So that we may not remain in darkness. That is one hope of the gospel, is that we no longer have to be stuck in the darkness, but instead we can be set free in light. Here's a small illustration of what I mean between the contrast between light and darkness. Here we go. Watch the clip. Never. I'll never turn to the dark side. You failed your highness. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. So be it, Jedi. See? There's this great contrast between dark and light. I don't know if, how many of you have seen Star Wars before? <laughs> Most of you? <laughs> <I heard it. laughs> we, like Luke Skywalker, need not to follow after the dark side, but instead follow after our Heavenly Father, who is light. See, Luke, in that scene, he said, I will not follow after the dark side. I will not follow after darkness, but I will follow after the light. And I know it's symbolic and it's not a perfect illustration, but I think it helps get the point across that there is a dark side and there is a light side. And we need to be able to choose who are we going to pursue. Are we going to pursue darkness or are we going to pursue light? And reminding ourselves, what is light? God's light. Amen? So God, being the greatest example of light, he challenges us and commands us to fall after him to walk like him and to be like him, not to stay stuck in darkness. And 1 John 1, 6-7 says this, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. Verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. What a great hope and joy that is. Uh, Point two is this, walk in the light, walk in the light. And so when it says, if we say we have fellowship with him, John is talking about believers, believers having fellowship. If, If believers say that they have fellowship with God, but are actually living in sin and darkness, then they're actually lying. It's deceitful and an impossibility, because when you are connected to Jesus, he actually brings you light and life into your life, right? So if we already define light, then we need to f- uh, define the opposite term, which is darkness, because light and darkness are complete contrasts. They are complete opposites, and they cannot coexist. Darkness, according to the Holman Bible Dictionary, says this, in the New Testament, the place uh, darkness is illustrated as the place of punishment for humans and sinful angels and designated as the outer darkness. And there's some scripture that backs it up. Um, darkness often has an ethical sense. Scripture speaks of ways of darkness, walking in the darkness, and works of darkness. In this ethical sense, God has no darkness in himself. First John 1 5, where we're at. Powers Hostile to God can be termed as darkness. People thus face a choice of whether to yield allegiance to God or to darkness. Darkness is also uh, symbolic of ignorance, especially of God and God's ways. Why? Because God's light. And if you're in darkness, that means you don't know God. John eight twelve. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, will not walk in the darkness, but they will have the light of life. To walk in darkness is a complete contrast between walking with and fellowshipping with God. You cannot have darkness present where there is light. Light and darkness don't coexist together. First John 1.3 says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaimed also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we hear this word fellowship a lot, uh, especially right now during the sermon, right? But what exactly is fellowship? Fellowship is this having a deep and intimate relationship with God or others. That's my simple definition. Uh, I have a more in depth definition. So the Greek word, if we want to study the Greek, let's be Bible scholars and study the Greek. Uh, Koinonia is the Greek word for fellowship. And it can be a sharing in the benefits of death of Jesus or in the financial relief of the saints or in the sufferings of Christ. So when we talk about Christian koinonia, koinonia or fellowship, uh, we are basically talking about sharing or uh, in or participation that is unique to our relationship with other believers that we are referring to the shared union, uh, the shared participation that we have together with Christ. And that's by John Piper. So it is... Gathering together, being together, but it's also more than that it's um, also sharing the benefits of Jesus, sharing in the financial relief and sharing in the sufferings of christ so it's it's a it's not just like oh yeah, I think I'll fellowship today no fellowship is not just a one time thing fellowship is a lifestyle it's part of being a Christian and it's part of having a relationship with God and having a relationship with the church because I want to remind you guys sometimes we forget this we think of church as a brand or we think of it as a building like oh yeah that church looks really nice like did you see what they did on the paint job it looks really cool but we forget when we say church it's you and me we are the church we are the ones who fellowship together and fellowshipping together can be difficult but i think the amazing part is if we're fellowshipping with god first and we're allowing ourselves to fellowship and spend time with God, then I think we'll have a better fellowship with each other, right? Because we're focused on God and uh, allowing God to change us and to make us new. 1 John 3, 2 through 10 says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice. Make sure you guys uh, pay attention. It says makes a practice of sinning. I'll explain further, but there's a difference between a practice of sinning and uh, a moment of falling short or a struggle. There's a, there's a big difference, and we'll, we'll talk about that, but um, just pay attention when it says practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. That's an important one, going back to fellowship. We have to love each other if we're going to be of God, right? Loving our, our brothers. And so that passage is very controversial. And you're going to say, why is that controversial? Well, I'm saying it's controversial because um, this goes completely against a lot of modern churches today. It, it goes a lot, a really, really, really against a lot of modern churches today. Um, That say they're Christian, but they're okay with sinning, and they're okay with living lifestyles of sinning. Uh, That's that's not what God's word says. God wants us to be changed and transformed people. We should not be uh, continuing to do the same stupid things uh, we used to do before we were Christian. Instead, we need to allow ourselves, allow God into our hearts, and be like God. And and that's a process that takes time, and it's a work of the Holy Spirit. But I, I want you to think about this. It's like you just committed a crime. You're arrested, and the judge says to you, okay, you're forgiven, but don't keep committing the same exact crimes, okay? You're released, and what do you do? You do the exact same thing you were arrested for, you were just caught for. Wouldn't that be ignorant or stupid? You, if you literally were just released, the judge says, okay, you're free, uh, you I'm giving you a one-time get-out-of-jail-free card. And then he's like, okay, awesome. The next day, he's doing the exact same thing that he went to jail for. But the same is true of us. We have been given grace. We have been given God's grace. We should respond with loving God and loving others more, not abusing God's grace as a license to sin. That's an abuse of God's grace if we're not intentionally pursuing God and we're pursuing darkness. Because the whole point of being a Christian, Christian just means little Christ. It's a Christ follower. The whole point of being a Christian means that we're falling after him, right? But how can we be falling after him if we're falling after the darkness? They're complete opposites. It's just like in Star Wars. You're either on the dark side or you're on the light side. Whose side are you on? And I think Paul says it well in the book of Colossians. And you thought you could escape this week without touching on the book of Colossians. Well, I'm sorry guys, but you were wrong. We are going through Colossians today. Colossians 1 says this in verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Continue on to verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us. And this is really important. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Isn't that amazing? Because we have been rescued from the darkness, we now have the ability to flee and run away from it, run away from the darkness and stay close to Jesus, and stay close to Jesus who is light. Jesus explains it well in the book of John. In John chapter 12, verse 35 says this, So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light. Walk while you have the light. The darkness, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. It's basically blind. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed And he hid himself from them. So think about it like this. Our time to shine for Christ is now. Our time to escape from evil is now. Because Jesus came on a rescue mission to save those who would believe in him. Who would believe in him. He saved them from the wrath of God. To bring those that were lost in darkness into the marvelous light. That was the rescue mission Jesus did. And I want to go back to that, uh, basically, when I was talking about 1 John 3, that there's a difference between sinning, practicing sinning, where it becomes a practice in your life. It's a continuous type of sin with no remorse. And there's a difference between struggling with sin. The difference between the two is the first one, where you continuously are sinning, practicing sinning, there's no remorse, is that you're making it part of your lifestyle and you're condoning it and you're saying that it's okay. You're, you're making a practice of it and there is no remorse. There is no, I need you, Lord. There's no prayer. There is no asking for forgiveness. There is no confession. There is no... So many things, while the latter one, the other one, where you're asking for confession, when you're, you're asking God for help, you're still struggling with sin, but you are struggling, you are fighting, and you're battling against it. There's a complete difference. Why? Think about what God sees. God does not look at us like other humans look at us. God looks at the heart. What is their motivation? What is their heart behind the sin? Is it a struggle where they're seeking accountability, they're asking for help, they're praying? Or is it, I just want to live this lifestyle, I want to do me and like, enjoy whatever and live in sin and darkness? Because that's a complete different type of, of sin. Those are two different types of people, and so we have to be careful. Paul explains it really well uh, in Romans chapter 7, how he struggled with sin, but how he did not want to sin. It says this in Romans 7, 18 through 25. And uh, this was one of, so when I was in high school and I was really, some of my friends were struggling with sin, I was struggling with sin, this became a really, really important text in my life uh, in Romans 7, Romans 6 and Romans 7 and Romans 5. Uh, A lot of Romans is good. I mean, ask Pastor Cliff. He wrote a whole series on it. (laughs) But it was really life-changing to me because I was struggling and I was wondering, I'm like, Lord, why am I struggling so much with this sin? I'm a teenager, why? And the Lord, through, through one of my Bible teachers, brought me to this passage and it helped me so much. And uh, along with the other passages that we'll be reading today, really just helped me to grow and to walk out of the darkness and to live towards Christ, to, to live in the light. And to be set free from sin, and it's amazing. So, what God can do? Oh, Romans seven eighteen through twenty five says this: For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. How many of us have been there, right? Keep on doing the evil you don't want to do. Keep struggling. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I do the right, evil lies close at hand. There's temptation. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, or in my body parts, I see another law waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And Paul finds his answer right here in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So he's saying thanks, he finds his solution in Jesus. Jesus Christ was the solution to his struggle with sin. So, I'll just say it now. There might be some of you today who struggle with sin, and you're like, man, I am just stuck in this darkness. I am stuck, and I feel like ashamed or guilty or struggling. The answer is simple. Paul finds it in Jesus. Jesus is the only solution to breaking free of sin. It will also take time. There's what we call in theology sanctification. That is the process of each day we have a, a chance to grow in love for the Lord as we pursue Christ. But that doesn't mean there aren't times where we fall short or we struggle. And I want to I remind you guys, in, in theology, there's a difference between justification and sanctification. Justification is the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. It's the atonement. He died for our sins once and for all, right? But a sanctification is a work of the Holy Spirit in us. And that's more of like where we might see us um, at times struggling more. Some seasons in our life we might be struggling more, but in other seasons we might be following Christ more. And my hope for you is that you allow Christ to change you and transform you so you're not walking in the darkness. And we'll, we'll see also how uh, John explains um, how to live in the light. So I wrote this in my, in my paper for this exegesis paper. It's just a short little thing that I wrote, but it helped me to really understand Paul in Romans 7. It must be remembered that the central message of the biblical text in Romans 7 is that through Christ, believers have been freed both... Uh, from both the law and sin, and have been given the opportunity to serve God through living by the Holy Spirit. Sin is a struggle that Christians will deal with, but Christ has set his believers free so they can choose whether to live according to the flesh and continue in their sin, or to allow God to transform them through the all-powerful Holy Spirit Christ gives to only his believers uh, generously. It is only Christ that can do this marvelous action in one's life. It cannot be accomplished according to believers' effort or self-imposed will. So, don't pick up a self-help book. Pick up the Bible. The point Paul is making is clear. As he established the law that gave him the knowledge of sin, and although he desired to not have it in his life, no matter what he did, his own efforts were meaningless. Christ's all-sufficient grace and power of the cross is the weapon used against sin, and its desire to bring death, as Christ through His death and resurrection has defeated death and brought life and hope to a hopeless and lifeless world caught up in the transgression of its sin. Jesus did that, and so we're going to finish up First uh, John as we go in First John one eight through ten. It says this. We we still have a little bit of ways to go, but just keep on. <laughs> Um, there's more coffee if you guys need some. <laughs> First John 1, 8-10 says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, I-, I love this verse, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So point number three is live in the light. Live in the light. So if we're truly sons and daughters of the true light, and we walk in the light, we also need to live in and abide in the light, which is Christ. That means we need to be able to free our conscience through confession confessing our sins to God praying to God asking for forgiveness why of course Christ already forgave us he already forgave us on the cross but the reason why we confess is because God does something special in our hearts when we confess it's saying here you go God you are in control you are not just savior of my life but you are lord of my life and I confess that I messed up and I need your help God so that's, that's one big difference. Because most people, they want Jesus as Savior of their life, but they don't want Jesus as Lord of their life. Does that make sense? Most people want to be saved from their sins. They're like, yeah, I want to get out of jail free card. That sounds great. But making Him Lord of my life? Nah. I have too many things that I want to do. I want to live in my sin. See, there's the difference. We need to make Jesus... Lord and Savior of our lives. Psalm 32 5 says this, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's David right there, just saying, God, I confess to you. I acknowledge my sin to you. I I've messed up. I need your help. And we know that David was not a perfect man. We know he had a heart that was for God, but we know in the Bible, we see there are so many sins that David committed. I mean, we could just say one was Bathsheba, right? Everyone knows that. But he confessed his sin. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen: Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And that's from uh, Solomon, Proverbs, the wisest man of them all, uh, except for Jesus, right? He says, confess and forsake them and you will obtain mercy. You will obtain grace. 1 John 2, 1 through 2 says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin." And he's, he's addressing believers. He's talking to us. But he's basically saying, like, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the, here we go, big word, propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole entire world. Point four. Through the light, we have received life. Through the light, we have received life. Ephesians 1.7 says this, In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. 1 John 3.5 says this, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. 1 John 4.10 And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a very big word. It means he was the complete atonement for our sins. He took our place. He stepped in for us and he gave us grace and righteousness because we don't deserve it. We are people who have a sinful nature, but through Christ's death and resurrection, we have received life, purity, and light. First Peter 3.18 says this, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Galatians 1.4 four who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father. The reason why I'm giving you all these scriptures, there's a lot of scriptures, right, today. (laughs) These can be weapons and reminders to flee from the darkness, to live for the light, to walk in Christ, and to remember that it's not on your own self-imposed will, it's not on your own effort, but it's on the marvelous grace of God. Through His Son Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. Another example I think of when a person that once walked in darkness and then there was a person that walked in light through confession of sin comes from the parable Jesus shares in Luke 18. Uh, it's in Luke 18:9 through 14. And you may know this parable well. It's about a certain man who's a Pharisee and a certain man who's a tax collector. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. This isn't a joke, like two men went up to, this is, yeah, (laughs) this is a teaching. Uh, One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Uh, The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I am not like the extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, or even like this tax collector right here, standing right here before me who can hear my voice yelling this prayer. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I get, of all that I get. That's one person, right? That's the Pharisee, the person that thinks they're so holier than thou. They are the greatest thing, right? But here we go, here's the stark contrast of someone that walks in light. They may still struggle with sin, but they are walking towards Christ. They are pursuing light. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. He's so humble and so like just amazed by, by God and and so convicted of his sin. He's, he beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbled himself will be exalted. And I I think that explains a good point too, where that Pharisee, he believed that his deeds, his goodness, would save him, would bring him grace, would give him favor with God. But the tax collector knew real theology, real, honest, biblical theology. No, we can't do it on our own. It's only by God and his grace and his mercy that we can receive forgiveness. So my final application for you today is this. I'm going to start with the Christians, the believers. So if you're a believer, I want you to listen up. Don't be a person that walks in the light when it's convenient. Don't be only a Christian on Sundays, but instead seek after and follow God each and every day. I hold on to this biblical truth in James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He will do this as we confess and ask God to help us to be a people who live in the light. And Peter shares what and how the family of God should and does look like in 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. I love this passage. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, all of us that claim to be Christians, people are watching. People are watching your every move and listening. People want to know, what is a true Christian? What does a Christian do? How does a Christian act? What is their heart? And so a lot of times, you know, Pastor Cliff and I, we're the pastors, but the you're all Christians as well. And so we can't be the only example of being a Christian. We need you guys, your help too, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to also be an example of what it means to walk in light. And not just to walk in light. The reason why I say there's a difference between walking in the light and living in the light is you can choose to walk in light. And, And maybe that's a good season, right? But what happens if you start walking towards the darkness? Right, the reason why I say that is because to live in the light is different. You're living and abiding in the light, and it, it's it's not today I'll live in the light. Or, today I'll walk in the light. Tomorrow I'll walk in darkness. Living in the light is staying in the light. It's staying on the light side, not going to the dark side. So remember that. Now, if you're a non-believer in here, I want to say this to you. You're truly missing out on a life of meaning and purpose, of joy, peace, and hope. A relationship with God is the most amazing thing you could possibly obtain and have and experience in this world. I've seen people go from lives where they no longer wanted to live, people who are depressed, people who are suicidal but I've seen them also come out of that darkness and walk into the light and seeing the amazing transformation of hope through God's light. Just remember, one encounter with Jesus or his word can leave you changed. I've seen people live their lives in another way as well, dedicated to sin, passion, and pleasure, leaving lives now to honor the Lord and to serve those in need. I myself have experienced the love of God. And I remind myself, I could never go back to the way I used to live before I was a Christian. It was a horrible life. Filled with depression, filled with anxiety, stress, worried about being in the darkness, worried if people would find you out, right? It's not fun. Sin might be fun for a little while, but it, it's going to catch up with you and it's not worth it. Christ has become my life, my purpose, and my greatest joy to live for and to serve. I pray and hope for you, if you're a non-believer, to search for him so that you can experience his love, his grace, his mercy, and his peace that surpasses understanding because he brings true hope and true light in the midst of darkness. Because if you don't know, a good example of darkness is the world we live in right now. It's a great example, right? Just turn on the news. There's a lot of darkness out there. There's a lot of things that are changing. There are a lot of things that are going wrong in self. And we need Jesus, right? I can always say this. Y'all need Jesus. I need Jesus. Y'all need Jesus. The world needs Jesus because it is a dark place. But we have the ability to not be of this world, and to instead live in God's marvelous light. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you for graciously loving us so much that you desire to see us live a life in the light. You desire us to live in fellowship with you and with each other, God. Help us so that we follow after you, not just half-heartedly, God, but wholeheartedly, not for our own personal gain, God, but so that we may become like you, the greatest example of light and love that the world has ever seen and will ever see. It's in your mighty and marvelous name, Father God. Amen.